This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour at 12.03. I'm Rob Hart. The WBBM Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Parents with adult children living at home can find themselves in a tricky financial situation. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest measure of inflation is out ahead of tomorrow's interest rate announcement by the Federal Reserve. We welcome in David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors based in Denver, author of the book Understanding Central Banking. David, thanks for joining us once again. At 1020, we talked about how the Fed is going to run through the tape. And even though the uh, latest CPI report is very encouraging, and it's really nice to see the rate of inflation uh, fall by about two percentage points from the uh, 9% in June, there's a long way to go. So my question for you, and I guess this is a question for the Fed as well, their target is 2%. How tough is that last percentage point? It's very tough, and that's exactly the point. The Fed's key word is credibility. Remember, we talked about this a lot. The Fed was very slow in recognizing inflation, thinking it was transitory. They lost a lot of credibility with the markets uh, by failing to react more quickly to inflation. Now what the Fed wants to do is regain that credibility by not quitting till the job is done, So I think the Fed not only is going to raise rates a half a percentage point at this meeting tomorrow, but, you know, we may get one or two more normal quarter point hikes, um, maybe next February and maybe another one in March. I do think that through most of next year, the Fed will be holding steady at 5% or slightly below in their target rate. And one other really important point to make is, even though a lot of people in the markets have been looking ahead to the possibility of recession, the economy still looks pretty good. Uh, the labor market's fairly strong. Consumer spending is fairly strong going into 2023. And then uh, just to put it in perspective, there's an interesting uh, graph I saw this morning, which was the it showed this the 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 glide slope, as it were, of the uh, previous uh, Fed tightening cycles. And even though there have been a number of interest rate hikes this year, we're not quite at the top of the 2006-2008 tightening cycle that, of course, ended in uh, September of that year. But it was a lot more gradual 16 years ago. This is more like a, a takeoff from Midway Airport. And uh, the last time it was a, a gentle takeoff from O'Hare. Exactly. And um, that has to feed into Fed thinking. I think the best bet is that the impact on inflation will be sooner rather than later. Remember, uh, our famous economist Milton Friedman said the Fed, the lag in Fed policy is 
is long and variable. I think it's shorter now, but I think the Fed is going to stay at it until they're absolutely sure that inflation is headed back down to that 2% target. And uh, as you so well noted, we're just some distance from that yet. David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver, Colorado, author of the book Understanding Central Banking. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, money strategies to help adult children who find themselves back at home. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are financial challenges for parents who have adult children living at home. Let's get some direction from Ed Jertsen, certified financial planner and founder of the Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. The website engagewealthgroup.com. Ed, thanks for joining us today. There are a variety of reasons as to why adult children move back in with their parents. And some of it, you know, some of it ranges from uh, having a hard time uh, affording an apartment. Maybe they're in between jobs. Maybe they're moving back to the city after being away for a while. Uh, That was the case for me when I turned 25 and moved back to Chicago from Milwaukee. Decided to live in my own old room for a couple of months while saving up and then moved out uh, once the springtime rolled around. But uh, there are some other situations where the parents are financially benefiting their adult children. And there you got to set some ground rules. Absolutely, Rob. Great to be with you. I I think first and foremost, it's the holiday season. And so you've got family coming in and generally they leave. But every so often from a practical standpoint, things happen in life where, you know, your adult children will come back home. And in your case, and in a lot of our clients' cases, when their kids graduate or they're in their transition, it's more of a, a more of a trampoline, if you would, than a hammock, meaning that, hey, we're good to have you home for a while to get you on your feet, save some money, but then it's time to get up and out of the house. And then uh, what, what are some, uh, some traps that uh, both the parents can fall into, but also the adult children? I think one of the ones, and we're very direct with our clients in regards to this, is having a good, clear communication on all things finance, because you've got another member of the family. Now, if it's just one of your kids coming home, it's one thing, but during the financial crisis, there were often times when our clients had a whole family come and live with them because of a variety of different reasons. And having clear set expectations and goals, especially around money and spending and saving, can go a long way to create peace in the family. And then uh, from your conversations with your clients recently, I mean, we all know that uh, the increase in rents, uh, one of the things that uh, has made inflation persistently high. Are you hearing from a lot of clients who are saying that, uh, yeah, my kids have graduated from college, but they've uh, moved back home simply because they can't afford an apartment? Well, and that's part of it. But what I often tell my clients, especially when their kids are asking them for money, is I know my clients have a spending plan. They know where their dimes and dollars are going. Do your kids have that? And I often put myself in the middle and I ask my clients, hey, ask your child to give you their spending plan so you can see where their money goes. And oftentimes, as you can imagine, the kids are like, oh, no, I'm good. Uh, They just want to maintain their lifestyle. But yes, there's things that happen again, rents, expenses, loss of job that would create that opportunity again to bring your child home, give them a good uh, solid footing financially and then let them relaunch if you would. But yes, clear communication is important and making sure that your your kids, the kids of our clients are good stewards of their money is very important as well. Is this a situation for you as a financial advisor to have skills at the table that are above and beyond? just uh, analyzing uh, the rate of return of investments. You have to be a bit of a psychologist as well. 
Yeah, over 80% of what we do, Rob, is just that. I mean, we're guiding clients. And, and again, when you're dealing with families and kids, oftentimes, as you can imagine, it's a difficult conversation for the parents to have. So that's why we like to put ourselves in the middle, make us the bad person in terms of communication. So yes, those soft skills are very important because it's not only about money, it's about family, and that's where things get complicated. He's the bad cop. He's Ed Jertson, certified financial planner and founder of Engage Wealth Group based in Chicago. He's got the black hat and the twirling mustache. He gets to play the bad guy. The website, engagewealthgroup.com. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, United Airlines getting ready to expand its fleet. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. United Airlines has placed a massive order for Boeing jets, including two models that have been working through multiple issues. Let's get the details from Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. We had some hints last week when we spoke that uh, this was going to be a big order from United, especially for its 787 Dreamliner aircraft. But uh, now the details are in, and it's even grander than before. That's right. This is an exciting day for for Boeing, especially the largest wide-body order in commercial aviation history with the 787s, which are, you know, have had some... uh, some hiccups in the last few years, but really is a remarkable wide-body airplane. And United's going to buy 100 of them. They're going to replace uh, the 777s and the 767s. Many have been flying for about 30 years. So it's uh, really a big ticket item. And as a, as a bonus, they're buying some 737 Maxes as well. So it's uh, that comes a bit of a surprise. The goal is to uh, not only have a more fuel-efficient fleet by retiring uh, some of the uh, relative gas guzzlers on the property, but also to develop a more flexible fleet as uh, air pattern, air travel patterns have changed uh, coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. And some of the 787 uh, planes that are buying are going to be a bit smaller than the 777s, uh, but it really is a uh, a uh, remarkable airplane with uh, the composite materials, lighter in weight, uh, uh, in many cases better range because of that fuel efficiency. They can do a lot of interesting new routes with nonstops that they uh, maybe couldn't do with their old fleets. And as a bonus item, you know, the 767 actually had a cruising speed that was a little bit slower than these new 787s. And so it's going to cut some time off journeys. Uh, not a lot, but uh, certainly in the doggy dog world of aviation, it uh, seems like a pretty good move. Boeing has uh, taken its lumps and then some over the past uh, couple of years or so, starting with the 737 MAX uh, crashes and the investigation into uh, the technical reasons uh, that led to that uh, massive loss of life in those uh, two crashes in uh, 2018 that led to the grounding in 2019. And then uh, there were some uh, cost overruns and delays on some government projects, but this week uh, everything's turned around for them. You have this massive order from uh, United and uh, the the Orion spacecraft uh, performed admirably in its first uh, test flight. That's right. And, you know, years ago, uh, United was pretty much an all-Boeing airline and uh, that uh, that loyalty is no longer there. Uh, so it was not a slam dunk that they were going to pick uh, the 737 Maxes for the shorter haul routes over the Airbus uh, A320s or A321s. And so no doubt there was some uh, furious uh, negotiation on both sides. So they had 44 uh, uh, planes uh, 
56 planes, excuse me, uh, on, on option they're exercising and buying 44 more are going to give them 100 new 737s. And that's just a real vote of confidence in Boeing. Uh, we know they're back on their feet, but having uh, it's going to take the 2028 before the last ones are delivered because the order is just so big. Joe Schwederman, Professor of Public Services and Director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Thanks for joining us this afternoon to talk about that big United Airlines Boeing airplane order. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, should you buy insurance before your trip? Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM on the cryptocurrency industry. Scientists on the West Coast achieve an energy breakthrough. Travel Tuesday deciding whether you should buy insurance for your next trip. And a longtime retail executive believes that brick and mortar stores are not dead. WBBM business, the markets are higher. The Dow up 129 points. The NASDAQ is up 118. The S&P 500 is up 32. We have 37 degrees, 42. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. A hearing underway on Capitol. Capitol Hill is exploring the collapse of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX. The company's current CEO, John Ray III, has testified about what he's learned since taking over the company in November. Employees would communicate, you know, invoicing and expenses on on Slack, which is you know essentially a, a you know a way of communicating for chat rooms. Uh, they use QuickBooks, a multi-billion-dollar company using QuickBooks. 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 Uh, nothing against QuickBooks, very nice tool, just not... Including wire fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm has announced a major scientific breakthrough in the decades-long quest to harness fusion, the energy that powers the sun and the stars by the uh, combination of atoms instead of blowing them apart, which is nuclear fission. For the first time ever, researchers at the Livermore National Laboratory in California produced more energy in a fusion reaction than was used to ignite it. This milestone moves us one significant step closer to the possibility of zero carbon abundant fusion energy powering our society. It's expected to take decades to apply the technology to the real world. It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Markets are higher today. We're joined by Art Hogan, Chief Market Strategist at B. Riley Financial, based in New York. Art, thanks for joining us today. Uh, this is more of a, says more about uh, my, the, the excitement in my life than anything else, but whenever there is a very 
surprising inflation report, like the one we saw this morning, especially a pleasant surprise. I always like to see how high the futures markets go uh, in response to that, especially on the possibility that maybe uh, go down or actually uh, maybe reduced or won't be nearly as punishing. And it, it, the, the futures markets jumped 700 points this morning at one point, 750, 760, and then it gave it all back. Uh, what happened since uh, 7.30 this morning Central Time to uh, put change investors' moods? Yeah, well, I would tell you the investors that actually participate uh, before the market opens in the futures markets are actually operating in a much uh, less liquid market, right? So the moves in the futures markets, the pre-opening and, and post-closed markets, tend to be more exaggerated than the actual moves we saw. So we, we, you know, saw a seven, eight hundred point move before the market opened. You know, eventually we saw about a four hundred point move in the Dow, which is now, you know, uh, after dipping in negative territories, is back up 100, about one hundred thirty points. So that's that's kind of the normal market, the functioning everyday market. And I think what has happened is. You combine yesterday's 1.5% move in the S&P 500 with today's bounce right on the opening, um, and then you've got a pretty good celebration for a very anticipated, better-than-expected CPI. So not to take away from the magnitude of how good that news is, investors move on pretty quickly to what's next, and what's next is the Fed. And that, that could be just as binary as this inflation report was today in terms of what they deliver for their, their message on fighting inflation. And the, the Fed has been pretty consistent. Uh, they say they're going to go all the way through the end, you know, in running parlance. They're going to run through the tape uh, when it comes to uh, a, the, the tightening cycle. But will they take some of the lessons or some of the uh, data points from uh, this month's CPI report, and will that inform their decision-making tomorrow, or is it already baked into the equation? Yeah, my, I think it's well baked into the into the equation in so much as they are likely to raise rates, but by a, an order of magnitude less, right? So instead of going three quarters of a percentage point, they'll go a half a percentage point, and they only you know they only likely have another you know half a percentage point to go after that to get to the place their terminal rate where they think they've raised rates to a restrictive enough level to stay in front of inflationary pressure. So I think that the, you know, the message tomorrow will be that, you know, we're, we're you know, sticking to our knitting and, and we're going to stay vigilant here. But I think behind the scene, the consensus that they stop at 5% and, and that's likely happens in the first quarter. And that's where they'll stay for a bit until they, they see inflation getting closer to their target. So I'm, I think we're, we're close to the end. I think we've seen peak inflation. We've seen four or five months of sequential improvement there. I think we've seen peak hawkishness in the Fed, which is good news. I don't think they get more hawkish from here. I think they get, you know, less hawkish incrementally. And then I think uh, the market is still filled with peak pessimism. And I think that, you know, you put all those together, and I think you've got a formula for some tailwinds for this market into the end of the year. The analysis for next year seems to be zeroing in on, uh, well, one – one piece of that analysis is is still subject to debate. They don't know if there's going to be a recession next year, uh, even though uh, all of the sign points say we've managed to avoid it. On the other hand, uh, there is a belief that maybe inflation is going to settle at 3% next year, which is above the 2% target. What will the Fed do to get through that last percentage point to reach their goal? Yeah, that's that's the great question, right? So if we were to stay on track uh, with the CPI and the trajectory that we've seen through the last three or four months, we would likely have about a four to four and three quarter percent uh, CPI in the first quarter of, of uh, next year. And we'd likely have, you know, call it three to three and a half um, by the fourth quarter of next year. That would sort of, you know, all things versus that, that lag effect that the CPI has. 
And I would say that at that juncture, if the Fed is sitting at 5% of the Fed funds rate and we've got a 3 to 3.5% inflation rate, they may actually look at that as being too restrictive, and, and they may back off on that a bit. And consensus is that they cut by 25 basis points at the end of next year. Um, if, you know, again, if everything sort of tracks the way it, it looks like we're tracking now. Art Hogan, chief market strategist with B. Riley Financial based in New York. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday and this afternoon we're exploring the need and the value of travel insurance. We're joined by Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com based in Chicago. Cindy, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Travel insurance is, I would say before the pandemic, maybe there was less of a sense of urgency. But since March of 2020, so many people have had to delay or cancel vacations because somebody tested positive for COVID-19 or you may have run afoul of another country's COVID-19 policies or, or there's so many things happened that forced you to delay or cancel travel, that now I think a lot of us look at travel insurance in an entirely different light. Oh, I think it's true. I'm a big believer in travel insurance. Um, I travel so much that for years I've had an annual travel policy. And so far this year is the first year that it hasn't already paid for itself. Um, I re-up in June, and sadly I suspect it will pay for itself before it's time to re-up next June. And generally, how much does a travel insurance policy cost either for one trip or a blanket trip if you're a heavy traveler? You know, it depends. Uh, the policy that I buy is, is between 250 and 350 for a year, $350. And um, you want to read the fine print when you decide what you're going to buy. There's also, you know, I did a family trip where we all went to an all-inclusive um, for a week uh, pre-pandemic, and that trip was about $6,000 a couple. And the uh, travel insurance for that was going to be $100 per person if you bought just for that trip. Um, you know, the, the advantage of things like an annual policy is it's not, you know, we always think of it as I'm taking the big trip. I'm taking the safari. It cost me $10,000. I don't want to lose that money. So I should buy the travel insurance. And you absolutely should. But the to stay five nights in a hotel while he was treated the travel insurance covered it. I mean, we think of it as for flying, but it also, if you get the right travel insurance, it can cover you on road trips as well. Um, mine covers my car rental insurance, so I don't have to buy the daily rental plan for car rentals. Um, but it's really the key everybody needs to know is just like your homeowner's insurance, just like your car insurance, just like your health insurance, you got to read all the fine print. You got to know what it covers and what it doesn't cover before you plop down your credit card and buy something. And keying off that piece of advice, what makes a travel insurance policy a good one, and how can you uh, determine that yourself? Uh, well, it, it, what makes it a good one is if it covers the things that you think you'll need. I use mine because I use it for flight delays, misconnections, um, travel baggage. If you lose your, if, if, something happens to your suitcase, I don't, I rarely check a bag, but once in a while I have to check a bag. And if your baggage gets lost and you're, uh, you know, you're getting on a cruise ship, 
you're going to have to go buy a couple of things and we'll pay for that. If you get a voucher, you're not going to get money from your insurance company. But if you don't get a voucher because they say, you know, camp out at the um, at the airport and you want to you'd rather sleep in a bed, you can uh, you know, there are policies that will cover that night in the hotel. Um, you just think about what's important to you when you're traveling and then figure out a way to protect that. If you're worried, you know, I, I, I had a friend who, who bought a travel policy because she had a sick parent and she was worried that the parent would take a turn um, for the worse and she would have to cancel her, uh, her trip. So she made sure she had a policy that that was a covered event. Cindy Rich- really, that's the key. Cindy Richards, editor-in-chief of SheBuysTravel.com, based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us today to talk about the travel insurance policies. Join us this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, gauging the future of brick-and-mortar retail. It's 60 Minutes of Financial Planning. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The future of brick-and-mortar retail is the topic of ongoing debate, especially in the wake of the pandemic. Let's get the perspective of Gerald Storch, CEO of Storch Advisor and former vice chairman at Target and the chairman and CEO of Toys R Us based in Vero Beach, Florida. Gerald, thanks for joining us today. I've been doing this show for uh, six years going on seven, and uh, the obituary of brick-and-mortar retail is one that gets rewritten and revised and put away because it seems to outrun the hangman every year. And uh, before the the pandemic, it was, oh, online shopping's going to do away with brick-and-mortar retail, and then during the pandemic, well, no one's going to go to a store and be around other people, but the uh, the good old-fashioned store seems to have some staying power. Absolutely, and, and you certainly never heard me say brick-and-mortars are going away. And, you know, in fact, uh, e-commerce has, uh, you know, risen and growing very rapidly to about 20% of retail sales, and it varies based on the retailer, but bricks-and-mortars still are 80% of sales, and they have been the majority of sales, of course, this entire time. So, you know, what is changing, though, is that the Internet has become a tool that everyone uses, even the bricks and mortar store. So, for example, it's very common now to buy something online, but go to the store to pick it up or use the the store as a hub or distribution center where you're buying online and they deliver it to you, whether it's groceries or your Walmart or whatever it is from the store to your home. And so what's happening is everybody's converging around what what we retailers call an omni-channel model, where you use every channel, the Internet, the stores, and they actually work together in order to grow retail. What we mean, well, let's talk about how the brick-and-mortar store is going to exist in the 2020s and beyond, because it's very easy to default to this idea that traditional brick-and-mortar retail is going away, especially you know, if, if you lived in Chicago for any appreciable amount of time. Sears was such a part of our retail existence for so long, and now it's simply disappeared. And you talked a little bit about uh, a store being a kind of an omni-channel uh, way of reaching consumers. Is that the way of the future. If you want to build a brick-and-mortar store, you have to have a robust online component attached to it. Almost without exception, that's correct. You need both the store and the bricks-and-mortar. And, you know, the reason a company like Sears went away isn't because bricks-and-mortar went away. It's because Sears wasn't meeting the needs of today's consumers. Consumers are looking for value. They're looking for style. They're looking for choice. They're looking for products they want and service experience they want. They're certainly getting that from other bricks-and-mortar retailers who are thriving, like Walmart or Target or, or Costco or Home Depot. or Lowe's. These are all bricks-and-mortar stores, and they're doing pretty well, thank you. That's who's taking a share from Sears or Old Montgomery Wars, you remember them, or, or these other companies that have, or JCPenney. 
Those those are department stores in general. That's not what consumers want today. That doesn't mean they don't want bricks and mortar. There's tons of bricks and mortar. Five below is growing. Uh, you know, all the value stores, dollar stores, et cetera. So there's plenty of bricks and mortar. And grocery stores have had an enormous resurgence during the pandemic and up to this very day. Gerald Stortz, CEO of Storch Advisors and former vice chairman at Target and chairman and CEO of Toys R Us based in Vero Beach, Florida. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 